All right, so let's turn your notes. Uh, this is lesson number 37 in our continuing series, the Book of Romans, Grace and Peace to You. Um, like I said before, the only way to have peace is to have the grace. Um, the world wants peace. you got people that want peace. People are crying out for peace, but there's only one way to have peace, and that's through the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. And if you will not open your heart to receive him, no matter what you do, you will not have that peace. So, as Paul has been talking here, um, he summed up his issue on reconciliation in chapter 5, but then the question remains, so what do we do? We've been reconciled to God. Uh, We've been justified by faith. Um, So what do we do? Just live our life like normal? Or as these condemning, caustic, sarcastic people ask, so what do we do? Just continue in sin that God might be glorified? You know, the more we sin, the better he looks? Uh, No. And so Paul is very kind of angry with them about that, and he uh, let that be known. So um, he's gotten down to this point, and we we were looking at the first uh, four verses last week, and the fact that we're dead. As I, I put that little phrase in last night, you were dead, you died, and now you're dead. And so that's a whole lot of death. But where do we live? Well, because you're dead, you live. So we'll build on that as we did a little bit last week. And the whole thing about our death in Christ, baptism is not the water baptism. Water baptism is just a picture of this. What he's really talking about, we were baptized into Christ's death. Not into water. We're baptized into his death so that even as he was raised to walk, so we're raised to walk. His resurrection was to the glory of God. Our resurrection is to the glory of God. It's that God be glorified in our life. But in order to do that, then there's some other things that need to work for us. And that's what Paul is going to continue uh, to present. Now, um, I put this little phrase down here because as I was studying through this, I, I just came to me, the dead don't walk. I know. The Walking Dead. I know. Great TV series if you're into that kind of thing. I never watched an episode. I did make a mistake one time. I don't know how. I don't know why. But somehow I decided that there was this movie called Apocalypse Z with Brad Pitt and Apocalypse Zombie that's what the Z stood for and it was so stupid but how many have been to those really bad movies and it's stupid but you just can't turn it off so I watched this stupid movie and it was so ridiculous in all of the things the dead don't walk they don't have that ability they are dead dead. yeah that's that's the thing so this whole idea that there is something to 
to come back. There's some way that we could come back. And so many TV things right now. It's like someone dies, but then their spirit is lingering. You know, they're caught between here and there, and we've got to help them, or we've got to do something so that their spirit can be removed from this. That's just a bunch of junk. All right. So it is, it is meaningless, and it pulls off of old religions, world religions created by man. And those religions, they're then somehow meshed into. When we were ministering in St. Martin, one of the big, big issues down in St. Martin is not so much the voodoo, which pulls more into the, to the Catholic side, and they marry those two things together. Uh, what's they called? Santeria, something like that. But what happened in the Protestant people, they, they called them spiritual Protestants, or um, they had the spiritist-type you know, ideas, and they married all of their voodoo imagery and all of that to their Protestant theology. And it messed people up. And trying to help people get out of that is, is incredibly difficult because they're convinced that these things are true. Paul just says they're not. <laughs> the dead don't walk. They stay in the grave, which is the important reason, like we talked last week, we're not just baptized into his death. We were buried with him. That, there's nothing more final than burial that's it the body's gone now we say well, well I don't know. Lazarus was raised from the dead and a whole bunch of other people in Jesus ministry were raised from the dead isn't that true yep. but they died again that was just a temporary glimpse that they were raised back to life we may talk to people today hear testimonies people say well you know i was i was dead for so many minutes or so many hours or whatever and okay but you came back you didn't say did you're not dead walking around you're alive again but here's the thing unless jesus returns you're gonna die again so death is death is a reality and that's something that paul has been presenting so as he's Moving down through this, he's, he's talking about how we move from justification to sanctification. So justification was what God did for us as sinners. We were justified. Even while we were in sin, we were justified. But now that we have been made righteous or justified, now God calls us to a life of sanctification. That is living separate. Sanctified comes from the same word as holy. So we are holified. Uh, but people don't like the word holy, so we'll change it to sanctify. But it is the same principle. We're called to a life of holiness, a life of separation. And whatever your idea of holiness is, if it has to do with black clothing, nothing wrong with black clothing, um, with, you know, no smiles, no fun, no joy. Uh, we had Mennonite students when I was teaching at Rama. Uh, they came from huge Mennonite families and uh, Amish families in southeastern 
Pennsylvania, uh, around the Lancaster area, the Smuckers, yes, there was a whole family of Smuckers. And um, their families, they drove cars, but they had all the chrome taken off. They had some of the most expensive cars. They would have Cadillacs, Lincolns, everything, but they had all the chrome taken off or blackened so that there was nothing flashy. So you can drive the car if it doesn't have chrome on it? That that is is that is that in here? Is there some place in here it says it's all right if you take the chrome off? So some you know, we get ideas of what holiness is. It's not some long hair that you can't cut. It is not, you know, having to wear a tie all the time, you know. So, yeah, thank God. So, holiness is not outward. It's something that comes from within. But Paul can't get to that, which is going to be most of what chapter 8 is about, how we do that, how we live that way. He, first of all, has to explain what this sanctification is and how we get there. And he does that by this section in Romans chapter 6. So, last week we introduced, down the bottom of your page, we introduced uh, three principles that we'll be seeing as we move through the rest of this, uh, this section. Uh, the first thing that we must understand is our identification with Christ. If you don't understand identification with Christ, none of this will make sense. So baptism is not about going into water. Baptism is about being, coming one with someone else. As I talked about, you know, the best illustration that I found, and I'd never seen this before, but it is the pickle. You take a cucumber, and you can dip it in water, you know, boiling water, but then you put it in the vinegar and you pickle it. And once it's been pickled, it can't be unpickled. So it has been totally identified with something else. So it is that our death in Christ, please don't go out and say, Jeff said we're pickled in Christ, because that's not the point. But the truth is, we've been so changed because we've been identified with him. And identity with Christ is so important. That's why I was talking about this book, The Normal Christian Life. Some of you have gotten it. I have not. Some of you have seen me talk about this yet. Watchman Nee, The Normal Christian Life. Buy this book and read it. All right? Because what he's talking about is, as he says in the opening part, it's really the abnormal Christian life because this is not the way most Christians live. And yet he's teaching us what it means to be identified with Christ, in Christ. And that's the way a Christian is supposed to live, identified with him. Identified with his death, but he's no longer dead. So, yes, I identified with his death, but then what happened? God raised him from the dead, and when he raised him from the dead, he raised me from the dead. Ephesians chapter 2. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins were made alive with him. When he was made alive, we were made alive. And when he ascended, we ascended. And when he sat down, he sat down, we sat down. And so we are now identified with a risen Christ, not a dead Christ. But if you don't recognize that something about you died 
then you'll never understand what it is to live. So that's why Paul keeps going over this. And just like Paul in chapters 3 and 5, he says these things, and he says it one way, then he says it another way, then he gives an illustration, and then he says it another way, and it's like over and over. I get your point, Paul, really, do you? Let me write it again. Because repetition is good for people to hear. Say, well, I've heard that message before. Good, hear it again. So, this is, this is what we have. Then the second principle is not going beyond identification with Christ. We have to accept that that identification is true. I really am identified with Christ. I really am. I, I accept that. I don't just see it. I don't just understand it. I accept it as a reality. I am identified with Christ. And then thirdly, as he goes on in chapter 12, and then it actually not just verse 13, but actually all the way through the end of this sixth chapter, it is what does it mean that we are identified with him and how do we yield our life to the one with whom we're identified? How do I live like him? So, next page. So understanding this nature of identification, we talked about uh, some of these principles already. Chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? All right, so Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know? In other words, you should know this because I know you've heard it. People have said this but you haven't gotten it, do you not know? Get this book. (laughs) Read Paul. Read Galatians. Read Ephesians. Get the point. Now, when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, he hadn't written Ephesians yet, but he had written Galatians. He'd written Corinthians. He'd written 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So those, those letters were out there. His teaching was circulating around there were people in rome who had heard and listened to paul there were people in rome who had ministered with paul now they're in rome now they're teaching believers these things he said don't you know this in other words some of your your leaders have been teaching you these things but you need to get it don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into christ how do we get baptized into christ We believe that Jesus was our substitute, that his death was my death, that he died what I should have. Had I died, I would have just died to the penalty. Death in Adam was just deserved. It was the punishment. And so we were spiritually dead in Adam, and ultimately, if if nothing changed, we would be eternally dead in Adam. So... God did something, and he sent his son as the last Adam to join in that death of Adam. But then, because he was purely righteous and holy and bearing our sin, not his, God raised him from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, all of us who believed in him got raised from the dead with him. Well, I don't. I, I didn't get saved till you know, 1970 something. 
Yeah, but when Jesus raised from the dead, because you believed in him, you raised from the dead. It's that miracle of eternal time, timelessness. And so we were baptized, and Paul says, okay, let me, let me take that a step further. Not just baptized into Christ Jesus, you're also baptized into his death. Paul doesn't just want you to, to, to miss the point. And let me say it even further, Paul says, we were what? Buried, therefore, with him. By baptism into death. Buried into death. So that. You just have the words in order that. So that. What happens in the last part of this sentence couldn't happen if the first half didn't happen. So because the first half took place, you were buried with him in baptism, buried into his death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. If you didn't do the first part, you don't get the second part. But because you were buried with him and he raised from the dead, then you have been raised from the dead. Are you dead? Yeah, but not. I'm dead but alive. So what part of me is dead? How, how, this sounds like some philosophy problem or something. No. It's the reality of us thinking beyond just physical limitations. You were dead in Adam. Jesus died. You died because you believed in him. And when God raised him from the dead, you were raised from the dead. And so this is, what What are you dead to? That old self. And so that's what he's going to talk about in this next section. So I just put down some points here. Again, some of these are just um, reminders, review of some of the things we said in our last lesson. The believer has been buried with Christ through baptism into death. Burial certifies the reality of the death. It's real. It's not just a figurative death. This is real. And baptism is the ritual act. So water baptism becomes this ritual act that portrays this burial. So we've shown it. Most of us have been baptized through immersion. Some, maybe among us, were baptized by sprinkling. That's all right. Because you believed that that water was doing the same thing. We can go with that. Because the water didn't save you. So somebody's dying, or their baby's dying, and they want you to baptize the baby, and you can't immerse it. What are you going to do? I'll sprinkle the baby. That's all right, if that's what you want. To see that this child has been identified with Jesus' death and resurrection, I'm fine with that. If an elderly person who cannot be water baptized and they need someone to, I'll do that. Why? Because it's not the water that saves. It's, it's the faith in what was taking place. I died with Christ. That's, that's what saves you. But death and burial are not the end of the story. So Paul doesn't stop there. Thank God. Well, thank God we died with Christ. There it is. Over and done. And, it, and? well, I don't know. 
ends there. No, it doesn't. Death and burial, not the end of the story. There's more to it. In God's redemptive plan, in his plan, burial is followed by resurrection. In man's plan, burial is followed by decay. But not in God. Our burial in Christ is followed by resurrection. And so it is this resurrection that happens. But you can't be raised with Christ if you don't, say it with me, die with Christ. You can't be raised with Christ if you don't die with Christ. Say, Jeff, you're preaching to the choir. We're all, we're all in this. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's people who are going to listen to this message who have never heard this before. As Christ was raised from the dead, it was a manifestation of God's glory. And so it says that he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. There's so many different passages. Somebody asked me, where are the passages that tell us Jesus was raised from the dead? There's, there's a number of them. Who raised him from the dead? Well, the Father did here in this verse. Ephesians chapter 1, the Father raised him from the dead. Romans chapter 8, the Spirit raised him from the dead. Jesus, before his, his death, he said, I lay this body down and I will what? I'll take it back up again. Jesus raised himself from the dead. So all three members of the Godhead are involved in his resurrection. That's how powerful it was. Why, why was it so powerful? Because he was been raised out of that spiritual death with which he identified with us. He died with us. And so when God raised him from the dead, he raised billions of people from the dead because we're all jump started to him hooked up so that his life is made available to us the cross had its ethical purpose in a change of conduct the purpose of the cross was to put people to death and it was, it was going to be done because of what you did. The expression in the Greek language, a new life, is better translated a new sphere in which to live. Raised to walk in newness of life, actually the better idea of that word is raised to walk in a new sphere, a new awareness of life. I'm in a different awareness of life now. Sensitive to things that I was never sensitive before. I understand things I can never understand before. In touch with things that I could never be in touch with before. Yeah. It's a whole new sphere of living. Apart from Christ, everybody's dead in their sins. But raised from the dead through Christ, we enter into a whole new sphere of living. It's different. Now, I know sometimes we bring all those worries and anxieties and fears and all that junk from our former years with us. But don't you feel like you walk in a different way? Yes. Have you led somebody to the Lord? And suddenly, you know, there's something that happens. And what's one of the things they say? I feel different. I feel different. You should feel different. You just died and raised from the dead. You should feel different. 
And there should be an awareness of something that changed. Did my whole life change the day I got saved? No. But it has since. And it continues to change. There is an awareness. Did I ever talk about God talking to me before I got saved? No. Did I ever feel God's presence when I was in prayer or in worship before I got saved? Mm. Once in a while there were some tingle things. There were certain songs that they would sing when I was in the Lutheran church. It would make me cry. I didn't know why I was crying. I just did. But something was pulling. But once I got saved, it's a whole new awareness. It's so that's the point. We're, we're walking in a new awareness of life. All right, middle of your page two. We are alive in Christ. Just as much as we were dead. Now we're going to talk more about what it means to be alive in Christ in coming lessons. But here Paul is just saying that we too might walk in this newness of life. We have been raised to be something different. We were dead, now we're not. Jesus promised that he had come to give life and life in its fullness, abundant. Life that is beyond the bounds. Abundant life. And that we can have this life in fullness. Not just a little bit. Not just a taste. Fullness. Today, and it's it started a number of years ago, we hear people adapting the word born again to so many different things. And... You know, they put it in songs, they put it in words, they put it in poems, they put it in advertising, born again. They're not using born again like we are. Because this born again is truly a new life. And this is a whole new realm of being. As Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter 5, he says, you are a new creation the greek word for new there has to do with something that didn't exist before genesis the beginning of something you are the beginning of something you're not a continuation of you a new creation that is so overwhelming that it's beyond our ability to really comprehend the fullness of everything that that means a new creation in christ I know I still remember things that are in my past life. Some of those things still pull on me. I still have fears from some of the things I did, regrets from things that I did. You know, I got friends and family that are more than willing to remind me of things that I did. But I'm a new creation. It's all new. So, down toward the bottom of page two. Old self, new self. Now, Paul's going to spend a lot of time over the next several chapters talking about the old self and the new self. And he, he'll refer to it in numerous different ways. So when we come across those ways, we'll talk about them. Uh, the new creation, the new man. Um, he talks about the old self and the new self as here. Um, 
he's going to make reference to this reality of a change that took place. But look at verse 5, Romans chapter 6, verse 5, down there toward the bottom third. For if we had been united with him in a death like his, if, if we had been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, this is not a reference to a resurrection that's going to come in some future time. Yes, there is a general resurrection in which the bodies are going to be raised from the dead. That's not what Paul's talking about in this verse. He's talking about being raised to walk, to live the Christian life in a resurrected life. Not just living now and hoping, you know, believing that there's going to be a resurrection in some day to come. No, this is a realized resurrection. Were you really dead with Christ? Were you? Question, were you? Then are you really alive in his resurrection? Have you really been raised from the dead? Yes. So just as real as the death, so is the resurrection. If you were united with him in death, you shall be like him in resurrection. You say, well, but there's that word shall. It sounds like it's a potential. It's a possibility. Yes, the possibility is if you didn't die in him, then you don't get to live in him. That's the possibility. Not that, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have a resurrection. There would, people that I know, I won't say their name. This minister, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't sure to the last time I ever heard him preach. At the end of every sermon, it was, I hope I'll be in heaven. And I hope that I'll make it. He had no assurance of salvation. No assurance of his standing in Christ. Even though he preached at thousands of people, he started numerous churches throughout the Oklahoma region. But he had no personal assurance of his salvation. Not because he wasn't. It's because he didn't get it in his head. And there are so many believers who, this is a foreign concept to them. They've been Christians maybe for most of their life. But they've never heard this stuff. Say, well, they read Romans chapter 6, but they didn't get it. Because if you were like him in his death, united with him, you are also united with him in his resurrection. If you weren't united with him in his death, then you are not united with him in his resurrection. It's a realized issue. And when Jesus raised from the dead, he raised as the victor over death. Resurrection is a victory over death. But if there's no death, there's no resurrection. So it became essential for him to die. If we are one with him, sharing in his death, that's the Weymouth translation. He takes that word united, and the Weymouth translation says, if you were one with him by sharing in his death. You will be one with him in sharing in his life. Thank God. Think of that. You share in his life. 
It's not just Jesus living and me living here, you know, and hoping one day we'll get to live together. No, I'm, I'm living with him now. And again, foreign concepts to many Christians. New life in Christ follows death to sin. If you didn't die to sin, you don't get the life. You say, Jeff, you've said that over and over. Yes, so did Paul. Over and over. Why? Because we're thick between the ears. And though we heard it, say, yeah, I knew that. Did you? Then why aren't you living in the victory of it? Romans 6, verse 6, bottom of your page. We know that our old self was crucified. Now I know your translation says your old man, but it's really your old self he's talking about. That Adam nature was crucified. That's what died. The Adamic nature. However, we still have flesh and we still have a body. And so these are things that the enemy uses. So listen to, listen to his phrasing. Your old self was crucified. That's done. Was crucified over done. No question. Your old self was. It's not your old self is being. And I know people say, well, I'm, I'm still crucifying my flesh. No, you're not. Your old self was crucified with Christ. And it was crucified with him. What's the next three little words? What is it? In order that. Your old self was crucified with Christ. In order that, listen to this next phrase, the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Old self and body of sin. Not the same thing. Old self was that Adamic nature. What you received. You're the, uh, for lack of another term, the deadness of your spirit being. Separated from God. But you identified with Christ in his death. So that now, in order that, see that little phrase, in order that, I died with him, I was crucified with him, in order that, so that, here's, here's something that if that didn't happen, this can't happen. In order that the body of sin, it doesn't say, and the body of sin was, but it's in order that the body of sin and then he uses this phrase, might be brought to nothing. It's a Greek verb that has a lot of meaning, which we'll get to in just a couple minutes. But the body of sin might be. In other words, it, he doesn't say has been. He said in order that the body of sin has been brought to nothing. No, it might be brought to nothing. It might be rendered useless. So that we could no longer be enslaved by sin. So there was more to the fact that we were not just dead in Christ or in dead in Adam. We were also enslaved to a body of sin. It was there and we couldn't do anything about it. Now I know unbelievers can 
not steal. Big, big capital letters, can not steal. Unbelievers can not murder. They can do that. Not every unbeliever is a thief or a murderer. Not every unbeliever is an adulterer. Not every, every unbeliever is vile and you know, filled with all manner of violence. But they're only doing that in the, own, in the energy of their own self, their own will. But they haven't been set free from a body of sin. But here it says that we might be, that we might be brought to nothing, that this body of sin, what is the body of sin? It is this flesh that is still tempted by the world. All the passions are still there. All the desires are still there. All the evil, wickedness, rebellion is still there. Say, well, I've not been a rebel. No, because you were doing what? You're ruling over it. You're ruling over it, and that's going to be his principle here, that we don't have to be enslaved. Adam was not just dead, separated from God. He was enslaved to sin. And everyone who was born from him was enslaved to sin. That's why they could not get out of what they do. That's why Christ had to come and die. If man could live free from sin without the death of Christ then his death means nothing. You have rendered his death useless. But you couldn't. So he took on our sin, our identity, so that we could render this body of sin useless. Bring it to nothing. All right, top of your next page. The confidence we have in this resurrected life rests upon the fact that our old self was crucified with Christ. I, I could have no confidence to live a life of victory, to live a life pleasing to God. I could have no confidence that I could live a life that would bring glory to God if my old self had not been crucified. It was. So, that's done. Now I need to move on to something else, that we have been crucified with him. Now, I got a little section in here called Fun with Latin. Everybody see this? Okay, now we've been talking Greek before. Tonight we're going to talk Latin. But I want you to follow this. All right? Don't get lost on me. I, I got this from Bishop Augustine of Hippo, you call him Augustine, Augustine, uh, lived in the 300s to the 400s. So here's how he described our condition in Adam, Christ's identity, our identity, and our future. So follow me, four points. Before he fell, Adam 
was, here's the Latin phrase, right? fun with Latin. Everybody say yippee. yippee. Yeah, it's a Latin word. Okay, before he fell, Adam was posse pecare. Posse pecare in Latin means able to sin. Before Adam fell, he was posse pecare, able to sin. How do we know that? Because uh, he did. So, yeah. So he, he proved that. You were born of Adam. You were what? Posse picare. You were able to sin. And you did. Okay. We'll move on from there. After his fall, now there's going to be a little change. After his fall, and all of us who were descended from him, Adam became non Passe non picare. Notice we added two words, non, in front of both words. Before he was passe picare, able to sin. After the fall, he became non passe non picare. Not able to not sin. Okay. He was not able to not sin. He needed a redeemer. He needed a savior. He needed a mediator. He needed someone to bring him back into relation, and he couldn't do anything about it because he was not able to not sin. Right. We're all of sin and come short of the glory of God, right? Mm-hmm. Wages of sin is death, right? So, all of sin. So after his fall, and by himself, just on his own, by yourself, on your own, You're unable to break free from sin's power. All right. But you became a believer. You died in Christ. All right? So here's your your present condition. Those of you who died in Christ, the state of believers, that is, those who have been saved through identity with Christ, is now, listen to this, our state now is passe non pecare. Before we were non passe, non picare. Mm-hmm. Now we are passe non picare. Dropped one of the nons. What does that mean? We are able to not sin. We are able to not sin. So as a believer, we are able to not sin. Do we? I'm not asking you for a list. <laughs> Have we? But are we able to not sin? John starts off chapter 2 of his letter, 1 John. He starts off with what? But and if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. But and if. But and if. We have an advocate with the Father. God doesn't want us to sin. He's given us power to not sin. That's Romans chapter 8. We'll talk more about that in future lessons sometime in the next five years. But um, we will get there. So, but after identity with Christ, we are able to not sin. Now, there's coming a day when God will take this vile body and transform it. Change it into the very image of his glorious body, which, 
bottom, bottom point, the glorified state, when we are raised from the dead to be present with the Lord, when we have a glorified body, the thing for which we wait, we are, here's a new phrase, non passe peccare. Again, we move the little N-O-N. And it's all where, where that little N-O-N is. We are now in our glorified state, which is in our future. We are what? Non passe peccare. Not able to sin. What a day. We will, there is a day when we will not be able to sin. Because all sin will be removed. We will be un, um, immortal. We will be unchangeable. We will be raised to his glorious likeness. And we will be like him. Thank God. Where are we now? Able to not sin. And that's what the rest of chapter 6 is about. So is that fun? That was fun. All right. So now let's go back to this word rendered useless. That the body of sin might be done away with. Did your body of sin disappear the day you got saved? No. Well, maybe. Yeah. But it's there. It's there. There are things about me that changed when I got saved. I didn't know what all of them were at that time. I have since found out what some of them are. And there's things I have yet to learn. There's things that God's got to take us to heaven before he can fully show us everything that he's done for us in Christ. However, he raised us from the dead so that the body of sin might be done away with. That phrase might be done away with or be destroyed some of your translations, that the body of sin might be destroyed, um, might be abolished. The Greek word is katargeo. So now you're moving from Latin to Greek. Isn't that wonderful? Transferring a Greek word, katargeo, which is made up of two, actually three different Greek words, which means to be reduced to a condition of absolute impotence and inaction. To be reduced to a condition of impotence, no power, and what else? Inaction. All right, so this word katargeo is made up of first the Greek word ergos, which means to work. Ergos. And you see that ergo, right? But they removed the E in front of ergo and replaced it with an A. Argos. Argos means to not work. So, ergos means to work, E-R-G-O-S. Argos, A-R-G-O-S, means to not work. All right, so to not work, the A, alpha, negative, to not work. But then he put K-A-T in front, kata, shortened it to kata. And so he put this K-A-T in front, which means to cause to. To cause to. So, your body didn't just stop working, the body of sin. It was working. How many say, yeah, before I got saved, the body of sin was working. And it didn't just stop, it didn't burn out like the, some of the, uh, the Gnostics of Paul's day believed that, you know, just keep on sinning and finally you just get tired of sin. 
Um, I don't know. It's not working anybody I know of. Just look at the world. But it's, it's to cause it to not work. It didn't stop working. Something changed to cause it to not work. See, the body of sin controlled us before we got saved. But now it's been catargo, caused to not work. It doesn't have the power to dominate me. Which means, the phrase that we all hate, if I sin, right, I chose to. I can't blame it on my body, can't blame it on my past, can't blame it on Adam. Well, that's Adam's fault. That dirty Adam. No, it's you. It's you. Because if you sin, you chose to. I know we can go back to Flip Wilson of the 1970s. The devil made me do it. All right. The young people, you got no idea what in the world we're talking about. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You chose. But he uses the flesh, which is still here. So, quote, this body of sin is still here, but it doesn't what? Dominate. I can dominate it. And that's the point of what we're going to look at in the rest of this section as he goes on down through the rest of this chapter. So this power is over the body of sin. My old self was crucified so that I might have the ability to dominate this body of sin which doesn't work anymore. And so God has caused this to be a reality for us. Now look at verse 8. Bottom third of your page. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Um, Paul, haven't you already said that? Yeah. But I'm trying to get it across to you. If, if you died with him, you believe that you will live with him. This is a truth that just has to be ingrained in the hearts and minds of God's people because you cannot walk in victory as long as you keep wondering whether I have power, whether I have the ability. No, that body died. It's been rendered inoperative. It's not been destroyed. It's not been taken away. It's not been removed. It's just been rendered inoperative until you what? Animate it. And it's an ugly, grotesque picture, but yep, you can pick up your dead body and animate it, which is what you do when you choose to sin. Okay, it's what other people do when they choose to sin. It's animating a dead body because it doesn't have power of itself. You have to give it power. You have to give it ability. It's like standing behind it and moving all the arms or... I especially love, you know, Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul is writing there and he says, wake up, you who are asleep among the dead. You're not dead. You're just sleeping in the morgue. And that's pretty grotesque. But but if someone's sleeping in the can you tell the difference between their body and a cadaver? <laughs> no. They're just there. Oh, somebody's snoring. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but... 
you just look like you look like the dead. I don't want people to say you look just like all the dead people. I don't want to be identified with the world. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, stop being pressed into the mold of the world. Stop being conformed to this world. Conform, metaschemato, means to be pressed into a mold, to dress yourself. Take off the gorilla costume. You're not a gorilla. Stop acting like the world. Stop giving the world its, its place. Well, I, just, I want to identify with unbelievers. No, I want to help them. I want to befriend them. I want to help to lead them. I want to have compassion upon them. But I don't want to be identified as an unbeliever. I'm identified with Christ. So I want to live a different life. And this is what Paul is talking about. We live with him. Not you will live him. This is not again talking about something in a future resurrection. Will we live with Christ in eternity? Yes. Yes. But that's not the point. Well, I'll stop sinning when I get to heaven. You can stop sinning now. You don't have to lie. You don't have to have rage. You don't have to give in to the world's ways. You don't have to give up to lust. You don't have to give in to... You can stop that now. Not just when you get to heaven. Yeah, it will be gone when you get to heaven. You'll have none of that problem. The question is, what are you doing now that we can live with him? Top of your page, go to verse 9. I'm trying to hurry. What's my time? Uh, okay, 53. All right. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Were you raised from the dead? Yes. Then you will what? Never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And therefore, death has no dominion over you. What died? Your old self. It has what? No dominion over you. But it will try to use. See, because death doesn't mean it's disappeared. It's been separated from activity. But it will use your body of sin if it can. And we all know that it has. But the imagery here is Christ. Death no longer has dominion over him. Well, then what? Then what? If death has dominion over him, and I was raised with him, then what? Death has no dominion over me. The old self has no dominion over me. Then why do I give in to it? Because this body of sin is still here. I need to learn how to operate. And that's what he's going to talk about in the coming verses. For death, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. The death you died in Christ, you died to the old self, what? Once for all. It's over. Now, Paul could have just said that by using the heiress verb, but he didn't. He also put in this little phrase, once for all. So you get it. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Therefore, the life I live, I live before God. I live to his goodness, to his glory. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider yourself, and that is the key 
to what's going to follow in the next number of verses, especially as we go down through this next section where he talks about yielding your body as a slave to righteousness instead of a slave to sin. That's a choice that you have to make. You can either be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And your old self will be happy to animate your body of sin so that you can be a slave to sin. And all of us know, and he's not talking about unbelievers, he's talking about believers. All of us know believers who have become slaves to sin. They've been saved. We know that they've risen with Christ. But they're living in a life dominated by sin. But that's not what God wants. And it's not what he gave you the power to be able to do. So how do they do this? That's what we're going to talk about in our next section. As we understand what it means to yield your body to God. Yield yourself. And this is something that Paul talks about in numerous verses but he uses different phraseology in almost all of them but it's the same principle I'm a new creation in here unfortunately I'm not a new creation out here but this new creation has the power to dominate this old body and I'm not talking old in age thank you very much So, that's where we're going, our next lesson. Yielded to God. Okay.